Hey everybody, welcome to part three of this mini teaching series on what is the church according to Jesus, specifically through Matthew's gospel, Matthew 16 and 18 in particular, and why does it matter? Why should I care? Why should I participate? Does it really matter? How's it meant to operate? And so we've established in the first two episodes, number one, uh, that the church is built on Jesus, by Jesus. The church confesses the reality of Jesus's identity because the Father in his mercy has revealed his Son to us as the Messiah, the King, the Lord, the Savior. That the church has a hell-storming kingdom mission in the world to bear witness to the rule and reign of King Jesus. That the church is meant to be a community of brothers and sisters in a spiritual family who are disciples, who carry the cross, who are willing to identify with Jesus no matter the stain or stigma that the world may throw, who are denying their self, their self-absorption, their selfishness, what we want and wish and you know, according to our own desires and are willing to forego those to experience the eternal pleasure of knowing Christ and living fully for his kingdom purposes on the earth. That each of us has a grace to steward and then that grace being stewarded, the gifts and abilities and resources he's given us, they have an eternal reward in the age to come. This is the big meta picture, mega picture from Matthew 16. The church is a, a community of brothers and sisters who are disciples, who are cross-carrying. It's built on Jesus, built by Jesus. It's all about Jesus and about his hell-storming kingdom mission together. Now, inevitably, episode two, I went really, really deep in Matthew 18 because it was a weighty passage. What do we do in the community of disciples, the church built on Jesus, when there's behaviors, a la sin, between brothers and sisters? Or sin, I'm, I'm enlarging it, sin that, that we see in others that we know it's destroying their life, even though they're not telling us, but we can see that the pain and detriment of their choices, attitude, actions, and character deficiencies that are clearly causing them harm and causing harm to the community. So Jesus extensively deals with, if a brother or sister sins, go to them one-on-one. -on -one. If they don't listen to that confrontation, go with two or three. If they don't listen to that, bring it before the whole church. If they don't listen to the church, hand them over. They're, not, they're no longer fellowshipping according to God's will and God's word as he's called for his people. So we, we do that with Jesus has given parameters. This is the long process. But the, the principle here is that within the church that Jesus promises where two or three are gathered, I'll, I'll start with this passage for episode three. There I am with them. Which is to say, if you'll pursue this kind of kingdom community, I'll be right there in the midst with you. And again, the context of that promise, many of you probably heard it for church, two or three are gathered in my name. The context of Matthew 18 is when two or three are gathered doing the hard work of confronting sin in each other and pursuing God's radical vision of reconciliation and forgiveness. If you'll do the hard work of messy relationships, ah, I don't wanna do that hard work, but it's the good hard work that Jesus has called his church to be and bear witness to. If you won't do what the world does, retaliate, get even, bail when it gets hard, slander, gossip, talk to everyone else about the hurt or, or pain instead of the actual person that's hurt or caused pain. If you'll choose to live the, the other narrative, the narrative that Jesus laid down in Matthew 18, I'll be right in the middle of all of that messiness of human interaction, 
bringing my healing presence. Now, this last episode is a, a continuation of these first two episodes, but with further clarity. When we deal with each other, the very next passage in Matthew 18, the parable Jesus tells, is how we're meant to deal with each other as a safeguard and a parameter. Jesus isn't interested in creating Pharisees, those who are self-righteous and self-reliant and we're judging our own holiness against the holiness in our brothers and sisters. No, Jesus is the standard, so all of us are humbled, period. Jesus is, not me, not you. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to live as models that are worth imitating. That's very clearly from the Bible, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 11, Philippians 4, verse 9. We're called to call others to follow us as we follow Jesus, but Jesus is the only perfect one in our midst. Amen. So Jesus gives this, lest we forget the depth, width, height, and length of the love and mercy of God in dealing with each other, especially each other's sin, Jesus gives us the perfect parable to keep all of us humble, honest, repentant, and patient with each other. This again is in the context of dealing with sin in the church. I'm going to read the whole parable because it's glorious. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? (laughs) Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As they began to settle the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At that time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. If Jesus had a mic, he would have dropped it right there. He gives us this parable. Praise God, Peter, I have to believe in his self-righteous, pompous way. He was so well-intended. How many times should I forgive my brother? Again, the, the flow is dealing with sin in the church, in particular, relational strife and adversity and difficulty. How many times do I have to forgive him if he, if he does repent? So again, Matthew 18, the ideal is not to hand one over who refuses to repent after they have a meeting with one and then with two and three and then with the church. Jesus is bent on reconciliation. So when they respond and they say, I'm sorry or forgive, Peter's like, how many times do I have to do this process? Seven times? 
I believe I studied it once that the rabbinical requirement, like to be super generous with forgiveness was three times. So I think Peter was like, I'm, I'm probably pretty good. Seven's a good number, good biblical number for perfection. And Jesus takes his seven and he says, you've missed a few zeros because some versions say seven, seven times 70 or 77 times. What Jesus is saying is you don't have a vision for how much I forgive you. And again, the whole operating system, if who it's built on, who it's built by, how it's meant to operate. We take all of those cues from Jesus himself. Jesus is the standard for the church, how we're meant to live and operate and move and have our being in him. And so he gives us this stunning parable. One guy owes 10,000 bags of gold. One guy owes 100 silver coins. And dude who got forgiven, and then again, it's meant to blow our minds. It's this uh, way of using language of painting the most extreme picture. And the master in his mercy says, you know what, I'll forgive you. You could have never paid that, that, that debt anyway. That's all of us, beloved. None of us could pay the debt of our sin. Only Jesus could. And he's saying that forgiveness lens and mindset, that mercy mindset is meant to permeate the church when we deal with each other and all of our sin and all of our baggage and all of our quirkiness and all of the ways that, uh, when are they gonna get their act together? Jesus gives us this parable, I'm saying as the ultimate gift of how we're meant to forgive each other again and again and again. Again, this is not a sloppy view of grace. This is not, well, then if, if I just have to keep forgiving, they're never gonna change. No, 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 no. We hold to the standard of Jesus and his word. But Jesus gives us this epic parable so that we stay humble, we stay patient, we keep a zero in the account. We say, but for the grace of God, I would be so far from God if he didn't forgive me once, 10 times, 10,000 times. And that exact mindset is what Jesus is trying to get into his church. Isn't that profound? Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Now all of Matthew is a discipleship manifesto. So it deals directly with how disciples, which comprise the church, are meant to operate but specifically ecclesia, the word church, who it's built on, who it's built by, who it's, who it's, uh, how it's meant to operate, and then how to deal with sin in the church. And then he gives us this unbelievable parable of when we want to be the self-righteous judge to demand that the other person pay their incalculable debt that they owe us, Jesus is like, throw him back in prison that guy, that gal, they don't have a vision for how much mercy I've had on them. We can't afford to lose sight of how merciful, how, how forgiving, how patient and how loving Jesus has been with us. And that that exact kind of love is the love we're meant to extend to other brothers and sisters, fellow disciples in the church. This is the God's vision. This is so convicting because if we're honest, we, I, I won't put you in it with me. I don't often view each other, view through the lens of mercy, through the, through the long game lens that everyone's a work in progress, but for the grace of God, where would I be? This is the parable Jesus gives us as a safeguard 
We're not jerks. We're not rude when people struggle or when they sin or when they hurt us. We play the long game because Jesus played the long game with us and he bore the incalculable weight of our immeasurable debt of our sinfulness. Jesus took all of that into himself on the tree, on the cross, so that we could be not just recipients of grace and mercy, but conduits of that grace and mercy. So in summary, I just, I gave one of my, I'll do a teaching, maybe I'll do another series. Next series will be uh, discipleship through the gospel of Matthew. I've done the most extensive work through Matthew with like 12 to 14 key teachings very short of, of ways that describe disciples because that's what the church is meant to be um, built built on. On Jesus, community of brothers and sisters who function as those who are carrying the cross, who are fellow disciples, who are help, helping coach and encourage each other as we learn to follow Jesus. So this is just a quick and dirty or quick and clean uh, perusal through the gospel of Matthew. This is a foretaste of the teachings that are coming. The church is a community of disciples who follow Jesus, fish for people as a kingdom family, who seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, who walk in the yoke of Jesus. I'm resisting teaching all of these, by the way, because I'm going to literally do a series on each of these sentences. Who deny themselves, who carry their cross, who pursue childlike wonder and awe, who adopt a servanthood mentality, who love God with everything and our neighbor the same. This is, again, each of those has a chapter and verse. I'm not gonna teach. This is who Jesus describes his disciples and the disciples are what comprise the church, brothers and sisters, built on Jesus, built by Jesus with a hell-storming kingdom mission, who carry their cross, who are following Jesus, who are stewarding the gifts and graces he's given us for his glory and the good of others, who are willing to do the hard work of reconciliation and relationship because that's how the kingdom operates. We're only as strong as our discipleship to Jesus and our discipleship with Jesus is only as strong as we're willing to pursue authentic, real relationship with God and with each other. That's why he speaks so specifically to dealing with relationship. And then he ends his gospel, which is a whole other teaching, but I'll just end it to end this teaching. This is who the disciples are. Amen. And then he says, now go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He sends his disciples to disciple nations. This is part three of a many little teaching series on what Jesus says about the church who it's built on, who it's built by, how it's meant to operate and how it's meant to function when it gets hard, dealing with sin, dealing with brokenness, dealing with hurt between brothers and sisters. And then out of that, the whole rest of the gospel of Matthew is how disciples are meant to grow and learn and function. But we'll do that in our whole next teaching series. So let me just pray for us right now. Father, I thank you for this little series on the church through the Gospel of Matthew. We've certainly barely scratched the surface, but Lord, I pray right now for an upgrade 
of our mindset, of what it really means to be a church, what it means to function as a spiritual family of fellow disciples who are brothers and sisters who are committed to a kingdom hell-storming mission to carry the cross of Jesus, to follow him no matter the cost or consequence until we see him come again and make all things new. Lord, I pray you'd bring healing to, us, to those watching or listening where there's been brokenness or hurt. Why would I try the church? I don't wanna do the church. Church is messy. Of course it is, people are involved. God, I pray you'd bring correction. I pray you'd, you'd, you'd correct faulty thinking. I pray that you'd bring clarity. I pray that you'd bring healing. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that those watching or listening would say yes to participate in the church and that's, that Jesus is building all over the earth. But we wouldn't do it in theory. We would do it in actual life. We would pursue this kind of relationship with you and with others because, Lord, it's the one it's the one thing you've promised we are gonna build and the gates of hell will not uh, triumph over it. So Lord, bless your church. Bless our church here at Radiant Central Coast on the Central Coast of California and bless the church in the Central, bless, bless your church globally with strength and grace. Lord, remind us again of who you are, who church is about, who it's built on, who it's built by, and our place within your redemptive kingdom story that you're writing in our time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Bless you. We'll see you for our next teaching series.